Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by First Response Pregnancy Test Brand. We know how vulnerable and exciting these testing moments can be. And First Response is there for you when you're asking yourself, am I pregnant? On this show, we tell the story of families built against all odds and people who poured so much love and effort, so much effort, into becoming parents. Today's episode, How Two Single Friends Created Three Families in Counting, is a story that reflects this deeply. I have a 14-month-old daughter that has genes that Wendy chose. Wendy chose the egg and chose the sperm. And I have the most amazing human as my child. If you looked at good friends, Abby and Wendy, who met eight years ago at a beach house on Fire Island, you'd have no idea that they share so much more than meets the eye. These friends, who were single in their early 40s, after divorce and relationships that weren't going anywhere, had dreams of motherhood and decided to build their families instead of waiting for the right men to come along. At this stage of life, they also knew their chances of conceiving with their own genetic material was less likely. So Wendy pursued adoption, but still had frozen embryos that she had created with the help of third-party reproduction years before. She decided to donate these embryos which is a story we will get into. And her friend Abby and Abby's best friend from California were the lucky recipients. This is an episode on being a single mom by choice and how girlfriends and single women today can build the family of their dreams. Welcome, Abby and Wendy. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. That was a really hi, nice Andrea. <laughs> Hi, hi. You know, it's so tough to know where to begin because both of you have fascinating paths to parenthood, but I figure maybe we'll just begin with you two as friends. Um, take me back to the start of your friendship. How did you meet? I was part of a group of friends who, and still am, we, we would rent this house uh, in Fire Island every summer and go out there on the weekends. And I am not a good cook, and my friends were like really good cooks. And when you go out to Fire Island, you have to bring all your food. So it's like a jigsaw puzzle of food. So I kind of can't, you can't like touch one. You, you have to be very careful about like how you consume and whatever. So I had gotten out to Fire Island a little early or I was there and my friends were there or something, but I was in the house by myself and I was really hungry and there was all this <laughs> food there, but I knew I couldn't like touch anything. And I was like, I don't know what to do because I can't cook. And I also just like when I get out there, they feed me. So I'm totally helpless, right? (laughs) So I'm sitting there and I'm starving and I'm thinking, I'm so hungry. Somebody feed me. And then like magic, Abby appeared. Just like walked down the, you know, little boardwalk. And I was like, we hadn't met yet. And I was like, but I knew she was going to be at the house. She was a guest of one of the other people there. And so I was like, oh my God, I'm so hungry. And she was like, great. And Abby is like, a gourmet level cook. The girl can cook. She whipped something up. She whipped up this burger and I was like, this is the best burger I've ever <laughs> had. It was like a gift from God, you know? And then we became friends, you know? We were just chatting about stuff and I was like, it's so cool. You know, we both work on TV. Is that accurate? You remember making the burger? I just remember actually that you sailed in late. That's how I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and you came in at 10 o'clock at night and you were starving and seemingly helpless, which was a fun role for you to play, even though you're <laughs> less helpless now in the kitchen. And yes, I, it was my pleasure to grill and make you a burger. 
So funny. We know the way to your heart, Wendy. One one way anyway is through maybe your stomach. Um, (laughs) So when you met, how old were you at this time? And kind of what stage were you in, in terms of dating or being single or thinking of parenthood? Take me back to that period. Uh, Abby, do you want to start? Yeah, sure. It was eight years ago. And I was actually, I remember that particular trip. I had just met somebody who I've had two men in my life since meeting Wendy that I thought would be the dad. Because of course, when you start dating in your 40s, the only thing you really care about is whether or not they'll father a child with you if you want to have a child. And so that's like, you know, it's a lot of pressure for the guy, which is why I'm all about what we're going to talk about anyway. But I had just met somebody and this particular person who I had just met when I gave Wendy the burger at the Fire Island house, you know, we're actually really good friends now, but he totally broke my heart. He told me that he was going to have a family with me and later admitted that he was hoping I would change my mind. And he actually has two children of his own who I did get to sort of be, you know, I call myself a fairy godmother to them. And so that was that was a reason to keep him around. And then, um, you know, a few years later, I met a person, a man who we actually did try several IUIs together. And it's sort of like, thank God it didn't work kind of thing. I know now Wendy's definitely not a fan. (laughs) but so your path takes so many turns during this and everyone feels like a heartbreak I mean in some ways but it definitely all definitely all worked out for the best which I can't wait to get into but yeah when you're in it and we've heard this from more than one guest on the pregnancy podcast thank goodness I didn't get pregnant with that person (laughs) when I was trying but where were you Wendy in terms of your singlehood or you know you met Abby she was in a new relationship motherhood was on her mind what was on your mind in that you know 8 years ago yeah motherhood was definitely on my mind i had broken up with someone probably like a year or year and a half like 2 years earlier who it was the kind of thing that like i was 40 we had been dating for a couple of years and i was like it was the kind of thing that i we'd had a few of those discussions like hey we need to take this to the next level and he was just not ready. But I remember really clearly like sitting on my bed with him and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Like he was like yelling at the TV about the hockey game with like his fingers up my cooch being like, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this guy's never going to marry me. Like he is happy right here. And I just kind of turned to him and I was like, yeah, you're never going to marry me and impregnate me, right? Like this isn't going to happen. And we've been together a year and a half. We're 40. He's like, but you're moving so fast. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, we're breaking up. And he was like, but we, we get along so well. And I was like, yeah, that's why I want to marry you and have a kid. But he just couldn't do it. And, you know, even he was like, look, I get it. I want you to have everything you have. I just can't do it right now. So, you know, that was kind of a nice thing to hear. But I was like, oh, shit, I'm 40 and I'm ready to have a kid. So I was like dating furiously, you know. When you had that light bulb moment watching your boyfriend on the couch. This is not the father of my children. When did you book an appointment with the fertility specialist? What were you thinking? Were you just like, I'm doing this? I Or what was your process in your own words? Oh, gosh. You know what? I think I did it pretty slowly. I think I booked like one appointment 
and got like the first step done where they look at your HSG, you know, and then I waited a little while. I think maybe I met some guy, but I feel like maybe it took a couple of months. I was slowly moving. It wasn't like right after that. I think it took two years after breaking up with him where I was really trying to find someone thinking I had all this time, strangely. But um, so then it was, yeah, it was a couple of years later and I'd slowly kind of made some appointments. And then finally I was like, okay, we're it was like I turned 43 and I was like, what am I doing? Like, there really is no time to waste. And then I, even then, I think I booked an IUI and then got really scared and backed out, but then did it the next month. And then after I did the first one, I was like, okay, now I'm in. And then I did another one and had an ectopic pregnancy. So that kind uh-huh. of was like, whoa, you know, and that took like six months to get rid of. And then uh-huh. by then, I was already starting to think about donor eggs at that point, just reading everything that I was reading and getting really, you know, it's like we don't want to face our mortality and I sure didn't. And I was, but then I was like, oh, this is gonna be hard to get pregnant. I want to be a mom. I want to be a mom soon. How do I get it done? And to me, I was like, donor eggs are gonna be the way. Mm. So it didn't take, I, t- I tried a couple more times. I did IVF once my own eggs and like really just didn't work. And I think the following year I did. I started, maybe even that year, I started with um, donor eggs. And when you went the donor route, because obviously, Abby, I definitely want to hear how this came together with, uh, obviously, the title of this episode is, you you each are moms today to beautiful children. I follow you both, so I see your families. And <laughs> I, I know that people, when they see you guys, have no idea what the backstory was and how you got there. So that's, you know, the goal of our, our storytelling obvi- always is to show everyone that even though something looks beautiful and uh, wonderful, there, there's a lot of a lot of hiccups and struggle and thoughts and heartache and uh, on the path. Did you, Wendy, when you were when you were um, looking at donors, was that a hump you had to get over, or you were just kind of practical about it at that age? You just thought this is this is what I need to do. I think it was a little bit of a hump. I don't really remember. I remember kind of weighing it in my mind, but I don't think it was a big hump because I just knew I'm just, it's, and it's, I think personally, I'm not that, um, I don't know. I wasn't that attached to it being my own genetics. And I think that's personal for everybody. I don't, Mm -hmm. some people are very attached to it. I, whatever way I'm programmed, it wasn't that big of a hump to get over. Some people, they really can't get over it. And I completely Mm -hmm. get that too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, So, So then, you create you you found a, an egg donor. I'm fast forwarding a little bit just because we know that we're talking about embryo donation on this episode. Can you talk to us about how uh, you picked your egg and your sperm donor to create, uh, you know, an embryo that you then donated later? What was that process like? How did you choose? I was looking for someone who looked egg wise. She had to sort of be in the general look like me a little, you know, but I wasn't that particular. And I wanted someone who would generate quite a lot of eggs because I had already been through a bunch of things, you know, the topic and stuff. I was like, this just needs to work. I need to do this. She needs to have a lot of eggs so that I can make sure I have enough. And I was like, yeah, hey, if they're extras, I can give them to all my single mom friends. Like I actually <laughs> kind of had that thought. <laughs> and then the sperm donor, I wanted to choose someone who, you know, kind of looked a little in my, like someone who could maybe like look like me, but I wa- it was mostly that I wanted to find someone who um, wrote something I liked and that 
so I could give that to the kid, you know, so that they would have something. That's just what was important for me. And Abby, at what point did Wendy and you start talking about her um, fertility process and what were your thoughts at that time while she was going through that? The timeline is that I really took becoming a mother. I talked about it for about 10 years. <laughs> and then I said, okay, I really actually want to do this. So for me, like step one was breaking up with the guy that what didn't end up having the family with me. So by then I was about 42. And I seriously looked into fostering to adopt. I looked into adoption. Um, I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And so I have a sort of an inconsistent income. So, and I don't have insurance that covers IVF. So that was actually never really on the table for me, but I've no, I have known in my core for a long, long time that I was going to be a mother and I just never doubted it. And it's sort of hard to explain, but it was just not, not an option for me to not become a mother in this lifetime. If that was at 60 to a 16 year old, you know, or, um, once, but once I made the decision, I'm like, I am going to be doing this. And speaking of being a parent, um, that that's, you know, it's amazing to hear that you have a baby in the background. We know that you fulfilled the dream. I guess what I'm curious about is what you had heard about the other options since IVF wasn't an option due to access and cost and what um, you, you considered fostering to adopt. Did you, had you ever heard of embryo donation? Was that something even? No, no, this, this, this came out very organically. And the thing is that when the thing about Wendy is that, that made it all possible was she made it to be no big deal, even though it it was obviously incredibly life changing. But she made it seem like what, what we what we started talking about originally, which is kind of funny, but we both really were taking it seriously. Was Wendy threw out to me one day? She's like, "I just wish I had a surrogate." you know, I have all these embryos that are really great. And I just wish I had a surrogate. And at the time I was teaching spinning and I was, I think I was under 45. And um, it turns out, by the way, for people listening, in case you don't already know this, you can carry a child with it. That's a healthy egg until very late in life, like way over 50. So if you have a healthy uterus, you can carry a child anytime in a healthy body. It has nothing to do with your uterus. So so we started joking about me implanting two embryos and carrying them and she would have one and I would have one, you know, oh, wow. we sort of had this wild yet. I don't think either of us were really joking. I mean, I think probably I was taking it a little bit more seriously than Wendy was because that was the first time that I was like, oh. There's this is an actual option here. And wouldn't that be fun, you know, to have to do that? And I felt also that it would be of service to Wendy. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to help her. Tried to get pregnant with the donor embryos or with the, the embryos that I created. I think I tried seven or eight rounds and I just couldn't get pregnant. And then I got like another 
we were, I was going to do a surgery. Blah, blah, blah. And then I got another, you know, another opinion. And they were like, you're never going to get pregnant. I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was like, oh, but in the stirrups. And this woman's like, I don't know. You've got an irregular uterus. So oh, I, it was terrible. And then I started looking into adoption. I just looked at all the options. I looked at, I looked at surrogacy and I looked at adoption and just decided on that adoption was right for me. So I was already pursuing that. And then I had these embryos sort of sitting around. And when you pursue adoption, it can take a while. And I was like, you know, who's going to choose me kind of thing. And, um, but sorry, that's when we had this. So that's why I was like, oh, you could carry them and we'll do it together. And it was kind of this wacky thing that I don't want to call it wacky. It was beautiful. And that she was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I'll carry them. I was like, Oh, it was very, it was really lovely, you know, that someone. Well, and in in a way, you're of service to each other because you created these beautiful embryos. And then Abby would, in this uh, moment when you shared that experience, like would carry them and deliver them. By the way, as someone who had a baby via gestational surrogacy and has a very messed up uterus, (laughs) (laughs) I, I know deeply what it's like to be told that your uterus is just closed for business and how heartbreaking that is. But then you you think, oh, I'll just quote unquote, get a surrogate. And nobody realizes with adoption and surrogacy, how intensely difficult, rewarding, yes, but difficult, expensive, long those processes are when they say that. So when you were, uh, when you were both kind of considering Abby, you, you generously shared you could carry them. Uh, when do you're, pers- you're looking into adoption and also considering this option, did you together speak to a fertility specialist or what was your process at that point? It never got that far. As it turned out, my uterus wasn't ready to carry two babies at that time or mm-hmm. one either. I had to have um, a lump removed from a breast that turned out to be non-cancerous, but that was a whole nine month delay. And then I had a bicurate I think it's called bicornet or bicurate, a heart-shaped uterus Hmm. that had to get reshaped as it turned out. And we're talking like two years after, you know, I'm fast forwarding two years. As it turned out, our our plan that we hatched, I wasn't actually as healthy. You know, Wendy would have waited a really, really long time to have a child if we had even pursued that. And so her adoption journey luckily came to a conclusion before we even got down that road. <laughs> when you when he went down the adoption route, you know, it's National Adoption Month, actually, as we're in speaking to you both. So it's a great time to actually even focus on this topic that a lot of people don't understand. What was your process with adoption? Were you looking domestically, internationally? Can you share anything about that journey? You know, once I got that sort of, hey, you're never going to get pregnant, I jumped in so fast. I listened to all these podcasts. So I learned all this stuff in New York. There were only sort of a, there are a limited number of um, agencies you can work with. I spoke to some attorneys and just found an, an adoption agency I wanted to work with. And I kind of liked doing paperwork and I liked the writing. So I did all that pretty quickly. And, but it still took, I don't know, six months to be on the books. And then I was just waiting. And, That when all the flurry of activity was done, the stillness of waiting was the absolute hardest part. The waiting is so often a tough part of building your family with help. And this is why I wanted to take an opportunity in this episode 
to highlight the first response early result pregnancy test that I used year after year after year of waiting, just waiting for those two lines and the tough two-week wait after fertility treatments. What was always exciting for me with the first response early result, as I hoped for a BFP, a big fat positive, was that I could get my results six days sooner. I also knew that first response embraced this infertility community that I was and am a part of. Today's episode is brought to you by First Response. When you are asking yourself, am I pregnant? Am I really pregnant? With complete anxiety and excitement because you so badly want a positive result, First Response is there for you. So going back to your situation, you were waiting to see if you were chosen to adopt a child. And that's its own crazy wait, right? Like waiting for someone to choose me. Every day I was like, who's going to choose an older Jewish single woman from New York with a big mouth? Like, who's going <laughs> to want me? Right. And then, like, one day the phone rang, right? And s- someone actually wanted exactly me. And I can see why, you know, like, having met the birth parents, like, I knew now I understand because we're, you know, that's what they were looking for. So then it just happened and I had this baby like a month later, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, I was in the room for her birth and it was amazing. And she's totally the kid for me. And um, uh, so that's kind of the story. But that was the biggest surprise for me because I thought it would be all the paperwork. But the paperwork took me like three weeks. I was like, oh, whatever. But the waiting was very, very difficult. You know? well, the waiting is the worst. I know. Right? From in your head. Eight, eight years of fertility treatments and many two-week yeah. waits. It's like, it's hell. It's hell. But also, you know, I think it's interesting because... Uh, once, once the waiting is done, it's like you guys are in the production world as I've been. And you know, that expression, hurry up and wait. So once, <laughs> once all these hurdles are, once you're past the hurdles, then all of a sudden, boom, you had a baby. <laughs> like, yeah. with, with, like so fast was Abby was, what was your process of waiting and building? You know, you went through a uh, surgery, you went through struggle as well to get your uterus ready. At what point, did your waiting game kind of accelerate? What was happening on your end? I went through three IUIs, which happened over the course of, I believe, six months, just because of holidays and other stop and starts. So when those didn't work, you know, again, if somebody's listening to this for the first time, it's, it's, it's such a process to think that you're pregnant when you have an IUI. I had a partner at the time and mentally you prepare for, you know, being pregnant and then you find out that you're not. And it's really, I'm not a roll with the punches kind of person. I'm like a very sensitive human. And so each one hit me really, really hard. So I just have to say like emotionally, it took me a while to recover even from that, which for some people, it's just very simple and just get back up and keep going. But Um, You know, I was dealing with the person that I was involved with and how committed he was and what the next steps were after this. And, and then I had this fibroid, which definitely took way longer for me to heal than I thought. I believe by this point, Wendy already had her successful adoption. And I had, you know, these embryos were always my, my backup plan. They were my safety net. And I really didn't take it seriously i it honestly it was like who's going to pay for the storage of the embryos right wendy i mean 
<laughs> that that's sort of what it was in the beginning. Like she wasn't going to pay for the storage of the embryos anymore and didn't need them. And so I did because I might need them. And then I had a breakup with that person, with that guy. And I was very clear I wasn't going to have anything to do with him with building a family. I was healed from the fibroid. And I have to say, getting the actual embryos from Wendy's doctor was a giant hurdle. It, it, it was just the, the sheer task of releasing them to me became monumentally difficult for it, which I didn't know. And it was just a lot of miscommunication. Like my doctor's office said, told me to go get them from her office after I was already approved for the implantation, like physically. But then her office said, why would you wait so long to get these? And I actually did a video about it because I didn't think that it was, I didn't think I was going to actually physically get the embryos to the center. Um, And it was, I'm not surprised the first implantation didn't work. So then actually the second time I did the implantation and I didn't have the um, complications of actually getting the embryo. So I did, I did two implantations, um, one in November of 2017 with two embryos that didn't work. And then one in January of 2008. Wait, am I getting the years wrong? 2019. I'm getting the years wrong. It's so hard to remember when there are so many steps. Um, I know, but you know, it's it. So for those listening who are are following embryo transfers, which uh, the embryos were created in Wendy's clinic, Abby had to move them to another clinic. Abby, did you physically have yes. to bring over embryos? So this was in 2019. We're now caught up to yes. uh, 2019. <laughs> Wendy, what year did you create the embryos in? This is always a fun game for me. Gosh. Must have been 2014, maybe? Because I always say my daughter, who is 22 months, I all, whenever people say, how old is she? I say, she's four years old and 22 months. Because... <laughs> We created her as an embryo in 2016, and it's really hard, again, to remember um, timelines. But when you both decided, okay, you're still dating through this, you're still involved with people, but you're doing this on your own, essentially. You're going to become a single mom. Did you have pushback from people? Like, can you, we have a lot of listeners in this exact situation who maybe are thinking about building a family this way and are terrified and also have a lot of judgment or opinions that are not always welcome. So can you both share what happened with your community, your friends, your family when you shared this? I was freaking terrified. I didn't want to tell people. I thought everybody was going to tell me I was crazy and no one did. And I spent so much time worrying about it and having imaginary conversations. And everybody, when I told them, were like, they were like beautiful. Some of them hugged me. They were all like, you're going to be an awesome mom. So then I'm the asshole because I didn't trust my friends, you know? Like, in fact, I didn't tell anybody. And then I saw my sister-in-law's sister, right? So my brother's wife's sister. We had brunch the day before my first IUI. And we were like, what's going on? And she, I remember she looked at me. She's got these big blue eyes, right? She looks at me and she's like, so what else is going on? Like she knew something was going on because I didn't tell her because I was like, well, I'm doing this thing, you know? I'm going to try to be a single mom. I have my first, you know, IUI tomorrow. 
And she looks at me, those big blue eyes. And she's like a little more of like a traditionalist than I am. And I thought, here it comes. She's going to tell me I'm an idiot. And then her eyes just like filled with tears. And she grabbed me. And she's like, or she goes, I know you're not a hugger, but I'm going to have to hug you. And she grabbed me. She's like, I'm so excited for you. You're going to be so great. This is so beautiful. What does your brother think? I'm like, oh, I haven't told him. And she's like, what is wrong with you? You need to call him. I call my brother. He's like, should I move home? I'm like, no. And then it took like five more years. But so, yeah, man, like, I wish I hadn't worried at all about that. Because all I did was worry. And everybody was so cool. So cool. Maybe one person was a jerk. My dad was actually not on board at first, but just because he was scared for me. And now he's like obsessed with my kid, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I wish I hadn't spent any time sweating that because it was all in my own head. Abby, what was your experience if you're comfortable sharing it? I live in New York City and um, I don't have a lot of family nearby. And I'm by far the most outrageous person in my family. Everybody's pretty conservative. And I think that if I didn't have a tribe of women, I went to every single doctor's appointment with a, a woman. Once I, once I became pregnant, a different person came with me. NYU, the staff there was like, who's with you this week? Like I became <laughs> known as the person who had a girlfriend with me all along the way. I I also created a Facebook page called Abby's Uterus Fan Club. <laughs> fun way to promote my well-being and literally send good energy into my uterus. It can be such a lonely journey and it can be so I mean, you know, there's so many nights in the bed crying about it and you have to have people on your team. If people aren't on board, I say, bye. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that simple. Parents, <laughs> I, I, I just think that you can't be talked out of being a mom if it's what you want. I'm in touch with a lot of women from Facebook groups all over the country who are, who have, who are going through the process, who have, you know, I don't know, admired my stamina or strength or, you know, enthusiasm or cheerleading or whatever it is. but. I stand for other women who want to do this. And I should just say at this point, I did start a little Instagram about my journey and it's mama, M-O-M-M-A by design, mama by design, because I, I really believe it's very, very important to and empowering to be able to create a, a, a family however we can these days. I wish I, just hearing you talk, Abby, I wish I had kind of done that. I wish I had kind of had people come with me or... Let them mm-hmm. more. I really wish I had done that. This process, there's so much in retrospect that we wish we could tell ourselves. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my next question. When you were in the hardest part of each of your journeys towards motherhood, what would you tell yourself now? Uh, I would definitely say stop all, all the things that are going on in your head that are telling you to question yourself or stop. Do you need to stop? I was always questioning, have I gone far enough? Have I, is the universe telling me I'm not supposed to be a mother or nobody's ever going to choose me or this is an illegitimate pursuit? Um, I wish I just could tell myself to stop doing all of that. There's a couple of things that I would tell my younger self. One is really consider all options 
and don't take anything off your plate. I do talk to a lot of women who, who say, wow, it's cool. You did this, but I'm doing IVF, but I'm going to do IUI. And they don't really think about embryo donation or egg donation until the last step. And that's fine. It's new. It's new. It's completely fine. And I think people have to go through their process because I had to know I couldn't do the IUIs and, you know, you have to know, but I would say just stay open to the amazing possibilities that we have these days now. I I mean, we, we do need to kind of point out for people that don't, that may not fully understand the process too, but, but you know, I have an, a 14 month old daughter that has genes that Wendy chose, Wendy chose the egg and chose the sperm. And I have the most amazing human as my child. I believe that Gala's, I believe that my daughter's spirit was around and Wendy gifted me the body. So, you know, I believe that whether or not it was my genetics or somebody else's, I would have had the same person in there. And I know that that's kind of a wacky concept, but sometimes I think when you're building your family, you have to believe whatever you believe in order to make it work out. And I've never looked at her one day and thought, this isn't my child or I would, I would literally wouldn't have it any other way. And she's the cutest thing in the world and waves to everybody as we're walking down the streets of New York. And, you know, like she's a genius and I'm glad Wendy picked all the science for me. I know there was a third friend involved, Abby, your friend in Los Angeles. What can you share her story in in a nutshell? How did she get involved in this? I was like really hoping someone would take these embryos because I'm like, I have them. I want someone to have them who I know. And like, I, I was like trying to push them on a couple of different women who are a lot of them single mothers or whatever, you know, I was like, <laughs> guys, I have like a whole, like, you know, uh, basketball team plus of embryos here. Like just take them. They're sitting there. <laughs> and no one wants them. I don't want to pay for them anymore, you know, for storing them. And then finally, like Abby was like, oh yeah. And then I just felt like, and we would talk about how this was like a big deal. And I never, I can't explain it. Like, I know it's a big deal, but I also just felt like, well, of course, like, of course I give them to you. I'm not going to use them. Like, it makes me, it made me feel so good to give them to her, but it did just feel like this natural thing to do. And it makes me feel good that I helped her become a mom. And then maybe this other woman I gave, you know, I gave the embryos to her and really I was like, you decide what to do with the other ones. Cause if someone else has a kid, that'll be your kids, like genetic siblings. So you surely figure out who that's going to be. So- and Abby, how, I, I love that. Uh, did Abby, how did you approach your friend about these embryos? What happened? Because, right. Well, when you get to be 45 and, um, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of friends that are trying to have children. Mm-hmm. at least in our, in our, in my world. And so, um, like Wendy said, she gave me seven embryos. Um, we picked in theory, the four, you know, we picked four to implant and one took. So then there were three embryos remaining. And I had, I mean, to be honest, several people asked me for them, especially after they met my daughter Gala, like six people asked me for oh them. Oh my gosh. Huh. Um, yeah, this was, and, and, and several of them have said like, no, I was kind of serious. So I, I sort of didn't t- take it. I mean, I was a new mom, but I didn't, I took it in stride, but this particular person 
Yeah. So like the cherry on top is that, um, I have a friend, um, she, I met her in LA and I said she was from LA, but she lives in San Diego now and she has a fiance and they did two rounds of IVF unsuccessfully. So, you know, they, they paid out of pocket, I believe, and got no viable options. And then she's also my daughter's godmother. Oh, wow. Came out here and met my daughter when she was um, three months old. And I think it was kind of a scouting mission. (laughs) And, you know, they fell in love with her like everybody does when they meet her. And it was a much easier process than it it was in New York for some reason. I don't know. That friend made it work. Um, She's out in San Diego. So they flew across the country. So, I mean, these embryos went from Wendy's clinic to my clinic to my friend's clinic. But now you, Abby, have your daughter has a genetic sibling? Well, um, at the moment of of the recording of this, my friend is, I believe, 18 weeks pregnant. And she knows a girl. um, And, you know, she's, of course, planning a healthy, you know, delivery and whatnot. um, And I will see them in December. But we, she and I go way back. We go back 20 years. And we've been planning our future lives together for a long time. And so we've been talking about taking our families to Cancun together um, forever. And so it's really, really, really special that yes, my daughter will have a full biological sibling who will be carried by one of my best friends and raised by her and her fiance. So amazing. You guys embody modern family building (laughs) in like the most beautiful way. Wow. I can't wait to hear what happens with that. Actually, our audience will probably want to follow along whenever we (laughs) care more, but I thank you. I'm so inspired by your stories and I, I thank you for sharing them. Both of you, what an amazing also story of friendship and family building. So thank you so much for being on the Pregnantish podcast. You're welcome. I'm so inspired by everything you've done for women because, you know, we don't talk about these things. They're really hard to talk. I think crushing is the exact right word that Abby used, like Mm -hmm. crushing. So to be able to bring the dialogue into the light is so great and empowering. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Pregnantish Podcast. If you like us, please rate us, please subscribe, please tell your friends. We don't want these stories to be in the dark. Uh, These are incredible, inspiring, empowering, beautiful family stories. And we have a lot more of them to tell this season. Thanks for being here. Until next time.